Design is starting to get a seat at the table across a lot of industries. Originally viewed by many business leaders as a way to make a product more aesthetically pleasing, it's now recognized that bringing designers into product and engineering decisions early in the process to help at a strategic level can be critical to the success of products in the marketplace. But it's still rare that companies have a designer in the C-suite. Perhaps that's starting to change. With leaders like Mariah Garrett, Chief Design Officer of USAA, leading the charge, designers are being given a literal seat at the table for important business decisions at the executive level. On today's podcast, we chat with Mariah about why we're starting to see more designers in the C-suite, how she's grown her team by an order of magnitude over the past year, and how the mission of USAA influences the work her team does. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to be the leader of a design team at a company with over 30,000 employees, sit back and enjoy this chat with Mariah Garrett. We're big fans of Gusto, who make it easy to run payroll, set up healthcare and other benefits for your business. They've made setting up the HR infrastructure for design better a breeze. Gusto is also one of the best design SaaS tools out there. Design Better listeners get three months free once they run their first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash design better. We'll tell you more about them later in the show. Mariah Garrett, Chief Design Officer of USAA, leads a diverse team of designers and researchers at a well-regarded, mission-driven company with a lengthy history of serving America's armed forces. Before her role at USAA, Mariah worked at the design firm Frog as a creative director and began her career as a freelance designer in the mid-1990s. Mariah Garrett, welcome to the show. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me. We are excited to have you here. And um, wanted to start off with an earlier part of your career uh, at Frog. And we're curious, how does your time working at a design consultancy with a multitude of different types of clients inform the way that you now work with the various teams and stakeholders at USAA? Tremendously. I mean, I, I had I had a career before Frog. I was in startups. I was at a company that made um, you know consumer electronics. Um, but really, Frog was uh, shaped my entire outlook on design because of the diversity of program that I was able to experience, uh, and also just the quality of the designers that I was around. Um, so my prior experience in product companies was really valuable because I worked so tightly with development teams and I was able to understand agile and um, know what it took to actually deliver uh, production ready design, uh, you know, assets and those kind of things. But the time at Frog shaped my thinking more than anything else. Uh, and seeing the way that we would approach really different problems and being thrown into these circumstances where you are coming with this set of tools and this is one of the things that I really like as a designer, right? You, your job is essentially to build out your tool belt and then to be able to have this pattern recognition where you see a problem and you know the tools to whip out at that given moment. Oh my gosh, this needs generative research or, oh, you know, there might be some cognitive dissonance here. So I'm going to do participatory design um, or, you know, uh, this kind of we should do this kind of a concepting workshop because we're going to get the most out of this type of partner in this way. Um, and so building that kind of pattern recognition happens a lot faster when you're able to have exposure to so many more problems. Right. It's, it's pretty fascinating uh, that you have a C-level uh, position at USAA, your chief uh, design officer. We just don't see too many 
CDOs these days. Um, I'm curious, how does being ha having design present in the C-suite at USAA, how does that influence uh, what's happening and, and the way that the company thinks about design? It's interesting. My role as an individual is as much to talk about the entire company and how we show up together and how we fulfill our mission and how we work across um, architecture and data and design and IT uh, and innovation as it is to lead my department. Um, and so I care about my people. Um, I'm working hard every day to increase their quality, but I almost see it as I have my own design project going on at the same time. Uh, and that's to help continuously improve the way that we're working together and to bring that sense of human uh, centered to our mission. Our mission is the core of why USA exists. It's to increase the financial security of our members. And it's the only financial company that I really want to work at because those humans are front and center. But we can sometimes still talk about the member as our center, but forget to ask them what they need, forget to put them at the center of our processes, forget to kind of bring them into the conversation. And that's the power that design has is to be able to say, yes, now let's make this real. Let's make this tangible. Let's change the way we're working to seek diverse perspectives, not only from each other and collaborate appropriately uh, and bring everybody into the early phases of the process, but also to be able to do that with our membership and make them part of everything that we're creating on a day-to-day -day basis to try and improve their experience. Um, and the whole reason we try to make our experiences better is to drive behavioral change because behavioral change is the key to financial security. Most of us are our own worst enemies. Uh, and we deal with people on a day-to-day -day basis who have a really broad sense of financial literacy. And our job is to be able to meet them wherever they are uh, and provide the services that they need. Um, USAA started, uh, serving out, started out serving officers. It was a company that was founded by officers for each other because they couldn't get insurance from anybody else. And now we do banking, insurance, investments, but it really is that holistic idea of how do you make a person, a family, a whole unit more financially secure? And that's a very complex and emotional space. Um, security is a transient thing that often my definition of it is changing. Yeah, absolutely. So this this position as, as a CDO, is that a relatively new position at USAA? Was there some tipping point or something where the company said, you know what, we need to invest in design and to do that well, we need to have representation at the top? Yeah. Uh, so it, it is a brand new position. It didn't exist before I joined the organization in the tail end of 2015. And I really put it to the vision of a few key executives. Uh, at the time, I was the president of the bank. Uh, my prior boss, because uh, I've moved organizations a little bit, uh, Carl Liebert, who's the COO, uh, Wayne Peacock, who's now the president of the property and casualty company or kind of our insurance branch. These guys were seeing this moment of you know, listening to the market, Harvard Business Review, D-School, all these kind of confluence of inputs has been telling these large organizations for a little, for a very long time that design's a differentiator, design's a differentiator. And people have started to believe it, um, to want to take advantage of that differentiator. And for us, it was this moment where it aligned with everything we talk about missionally 
and had this opportunity to say, well, then let's start to show up in that way. Um, and so while there were designers at USAA prior to my joining, and some very good, um, they weren't under a singular banner. Uh, they often were kind of reporting up through IT structures, which is fabulous. Obviously, design works really close with development. Uh, but there's value in that day-to-day tension of designing uh, the thing that is best for the consumer versus the thing that is most technically feasible, right? The reason we talk about that Venn diagram of feasible, viable, desirable is because there's tension between those things. Um, and, uh, and, and so we need to have different voices at the table to help represent that tension and to drive that conversation in a balanced way. USA is a, it's a big company, more than 30,000 employees. And you, you mentioned that you got some support from the top with, with design and, and investing design. And how do you demonstrate a return on that investment? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that the real thing is as much as possible, we try to involve our business partners uh, and our delivery partners in the day-to-day so that they feel like it's not my team, it's their team. And that's down to how we're structured. So yes, we brought design together into a centralized organization. But for me, it's actually less about centralized versus decentralized. Uh, And you'll hear really different philosophies on that at different scales of company. my point of view on it was we need to be centralized at this moment and for the next several years in order to mature our practice, in order to care for our designers who maybe before didn't have enough of a career path, um, you know, had some points of frustration that needed uh, resolution and care and feeding. Um, but the way we try to show up on a day-to-day basis is completely deployed. Um, So we do have centralized care and feeding. We do some of our design language system, uh, you know, in a a centralized group and try to create an environment of empowerment and tools that are, you know, drive efficiency and reuse. But when we put uh, teams out against work and that prioritization is completely driven by the business, they should be thinking of the work they're showing up to do, you know, improving the bill pay experience or rethinking total loss claims or um, driving a new uh, business model around one-to-one advice. They need to be thinking about that as their first team. Uh, and so they come back to CDO as a well for uh, you know, almost a guild, right? A community of people that are like-minded and can support them and Give them air cover in the moments where you need to push back because it's the right thing to do. Um, but that, uh, and so I like to say that each of our experience owners, and that's kind of our name for product owners who are caring about all their touch points, um, hopefully think of that design team as theirs, uh, even as much as I can think of them as mine. So you bring up a really important point that you're, you're, you're hyper aware of this point in development with your team. You guys have grown a lot um, and you're intentionally thinking about organizational design for the needs of, of the team right now, not for, you know, five years down the road. But what do we need right now? You mentioned, uh, you know, staying centralized so you can develop that culture, uh, you know, kind of protect one another, help help one another grow. Um, and I think that's a really important point for, for our listeners is because we hear a lot of conversation about organizational design. What's the right model? So I'm curious at what point, what, what are some signals that you might be listening for 
with your team in the next couple of years where you start to think, you know, centralized design has taken us this far. We, we, we got what we needed out of it. Now it's time for us to think about a new model. If that's uh, a decentralized cross-functional team or embedded uh, model or, or some hybrid new thing that, that you might come up with. I don't think there is a predefined destination and I don't think there's a predefined moment to, um, to reassess it. But what I will say is that um, I almost think of it as a two-term challenge. Uh, however you define a term, uh, our <laughs> operational plans here are at least three years. And so I'm not even considering, um, you know, talking about another model for at least six years um, because that's what it's going to take to get us to a certain level of maturity in, in this model. And then, you know, then we'll start to listen in a different way and, and pivot from how can we improve the way we're working today to should we work in a different way. Um, but, uh, and I, I liken this to uh, IBM and we've spent a lot of time over there and, and I've had a good amount of interaction with Phil and they're in this moment of change and, and challenge and they had five years in their model. And, um, you know, I think that they will survive this and there will be some real goodness there, but I think they could have given it two terms. So your team's growing and it's growing by an order of magnitude over the past year. How are you managing to onboard so many people at one time? It's been a real challenge uh, and it has been uh, especially a challenge in an environment where our recruiting organization and our hiring organization wasn't very familiar with the skill set of design. Um, so a big part of that is our Austin studio. We set up a new studio in Austin when I joined, uh, and it took almost a full year to come to fruition um, because we wanted to capture some of the talent in this market. Um, we're also uh, continue to have designers and hire in both Plano and San Antonio. Um, but so multiple locations and being able to hire on multiple fronts is pretty key. But the other is pretty much, uh, I almost call it a mar multi-level marketing approach. I hired executive directors who were kind of over domains of space or, or given areas of the business, and they had to go and hire their directors. And those directors, it's up to each of them. Their first job isn't to go straight to work. Their first job is to hire their team. Um, and the way that we structured each of those teams is really interesting um, and something I thought might be interesting from a mechanics perspective, as you guys are kind of interested in that right now. Um, we've structured those as teams of six. And obviously, over time, we'll find the right size of each given team. But it was one of our kind of stakes in the ground to be able to say that no designer should have to go it alone. And it's not realistic for everyone to be a complete Swiss army knife of, I know how to do research. I'm a great interaction designer. I know information architecture. Um, I'm, I've got you know super world-class visuals and pixel perfection. Uh, and I know how to deliver and integrate with a development partner. That's just not realistic uh, in our environment and in the talent we were finding. Maybe that's the right model for a 10-person team within a startup uh, or even smaller organization, but it wasn't the right model for us. So what we said is this team of six is made up of a creative director, four designers of a mixed skill set, uh, and a producer, which is essentially our term for a project manager with a design focus and skill set. And those four designers... Um, some teams have formed where the director said, I'm going to find all hybrids. And some teams have formed where the, the director said, I've got a really senior interaction designer and a couple junior visual designers and this person who, who's passionate about research and prototyping. And the only directive we've really given is your team has to be balanced. 
Um, and that has given this more flexible structure for us to grow within, but also for a way to engage because we have some work across the organization that's truly transformational. Think about, you know, behavior-based insurance from scratch and some work that is enhancements and improvements. And so let's fit a whole bunch of, you know, fixes we need to do around money movement into this bucket of capacity. Um, and being able to show up in this unified way, one, has made it realistic for us to scale faster that we have this kind of reusable unit of six and we can talk about design teams as a more of a standardized unit um, and map them, them against a certain number of agile teams, against a program team and an area of work. But also it's made it realistic for us to scale um, in terms of this multi-level marketing approach to hiring because each director had this as their first you know, goal, uh, and didn't have to make anything. They got to, you know, a month or two to just go hire, build, focus on it. That's brilliant. And the team structure sounds dreamy. I, I think that, you know, a lot of our listeners would probably love to be in a situation like you described where they've got, um, other talented people, uh, picking up where their skills, uh, leave off that, that makes for a great experience. One of the real goals was also as we bring junior designers in, we don't have this kind of three-month finishing school or extremely onboard, robust onboarding. We kind of get people into projects as quickly as possible. But one of the goals was also that I can see my career path within my immediate team. Um, you know, that I have people there to mentor me. Yes, I can see other mentors that are cross-team or cross-functional area, any kind of way that makes sense to you. But that I have people within my team that are helping me grow on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and, you know, the thing I love about design is it is democratic. There's so many times where the best idea in the room is coming from the intern or the most junior designer, and you can just see it and you recognize it and you say, that's the best idea. We're all running in that direction. I don't care whose idea it was. Um, but when we, one of the ways to drive teams to have that maturity uh, both a pattern recognition of what is good um, is to kind of bake that into the team structure itself and have a director who's there to help critique, improve, guide. Um, I've often called creative leadership, this, it's like you're the bumpers in a bowling alley, right? You're just kind of keeping them on track <laughs> and maintaining the momentum. Um, it's not about some one person's singular vision. That's great. So it, I want to talk a little bit more about hiring because this is a topic, it, it just comes up in every conversation with, with any design leader. Um, and you've made some pretty incredible hires at USAA over the past year plus. Uh, Sherry Masters, who's VP of Design, Greg Story, Executive Director of Design, Ryan Rumsey, recent um, hire as well, super sharp guy. Um, he's AVP of, of Experience Strategy. I want to. I want to hear your secrets. What What is the What is the What's the secret of courting top talent? How do you start the conversation? Is it like you're you're right up front? I want to hire you. I want to bring you on. Do you have to, you know, paint a paint a picture for for weeks on end? How does it work? I'm really lucky to be here at this moment because designers are, as a rule, mostly transformation junkies, and we have this opportunity to to paint a story of building something. Um, and so that's really exciting to people to be able to come in and help shape this. Uh, the way my leadership team works and, you know, that you mentioned, Greg, 
uh, and and you mentioned Sherry. Um, we've got a, a number of other really good executive directors and, and some other leaders in our group, including Tatiana and Caleb and Rob Stokes, uh, who I hired from a, a local startup and had worked with in the past. All of those individuals come together and we really treat everything as a team. So, uh, and one of the things that's been hardest to maintain, and I've received a lot of pushback uh, on as well, is that we're trying to take full advantage of our directors. The normal structure at USAA is that I would just have interaction with my directs. We have a number of events um, from staff meetings to uh, leadership offsites where we're involving the entire director community. And it's gotten harder and we keep having to rent bigger and bigger spaces. But uh, getting to that kind of next level down, because that's where the work is happening, right? They're interacting on a day-to-day basis with the business partners. They're guiding the teams in terms of the solutions themselves. And so we want to be this community of makers. And I think that sentiment of um, being able to talk about a moment of transformation, uh, an opportunity to shape something, uh, an inclusive environment where we're seeking those diverse perspectives, and uh, uh, and that ability to uh, to lead through making, I think is something that's just inherently attractive. Um, a lot of people are familiar with the brand of USAA and. We're one of, for those who do know us, not everybody does, we're one of those beloved brands, kind of like Disney, who I got to work with in the past. And and I think that it's one of the things that attracted me is it's wonderful to work for a company where people love you, right? The, in Our NPS scores are through the roof. We cannot take that for granted. One of the things I'm really passionate about is that, you know, consumer loyalty uh, and member loyalty, we we have it in spades at USAA, but it is not a guarantee. And it's something you always have to fight for. Our members are not holding us up against other financial institutions. They're holding us up against their last great digital interaction with a random startup that is, is or is not in our space. Um, and so having that kind of clear vision that you're not holding yourself up against other financial institutions and you're going to put humans at the center of your practice, I think is very um, attractive. So I have always started all my conversations with that value. Designers are motivated. You know, obviously we all have, want to have a career. We want to make money. We want to, you know, be able to feed our families. But designers are motivated by interesting problems. And this space right now is a very interesting problem in terms of how we scale, uh, how we form ourselves, uh, but also the work we get to do that you know, we're not in it for the bottom line. We don't have shareholders to please. We get to just care about humans. There's not many companies in the world you can go to where you can talk about your mission and your customers and have them be this front and center. Support for Design Better comes from our friends at CrashPlan. Visit CrashPlan.com slash Design Better to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited time buy one, get one offers. Let's do a little thought experiment together. Imagine for a moment that you no longer have access to your computer. Say you spill coffee on it. It has an unrecoverable crash or someone steals it. How much would a total loss of your data disrupt your work and your life? It would be significant, right? This is why you should be protecting all your work with an unlimited backup and recovery solution like CrashPlan. 
CrashPlan works efficiently in the background while you work, encrypting and sending all your new or changed files up to their secure cloud every 15 minutes. And they make it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can also be your ultimate rewind button. I dropped my laptop on marble stairs just about an hour before stepping on stage at a big conference in Europe, and I lost my presentation. I didn't have a backup. CrashPlan would have saved me in that moment. Businesses of all sizes can benefit from CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities. Buy as many user licenses as you need, and then you can easily manage them all under one account. Just go to CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter to sign up for a free trial. Try it out and see what you think. Take advantage of their limited-time buy-one-get-one offer for Design Better listeners. That's CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter. Back up better with CrashPlan. Support for Design Better comes from Uplift Desk, creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. If you sit all day at work, like most of us do, and you've never tried a desk that can transition between sitting and standing, let me tell you, it's a complete game changer. I often struggle with hip pain that's caused by prolonged sitting, and a standing desk has helped me switch up my posture during the workday so I can avoid that pain and just feel better. Standing while I work, it helps me get those creative juices flowing, and it helps me focus and stay productive. I'm way more alert, which is helpful, especially after lunch. Each standing desk from Uplift Desk is built with solid materials. They have so many different beautiful woods to choose from. They're built to last, and you can customize it to match your space. Plus, you get free shipping, free returns, and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Just go to upliftdesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5, and you'll get 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. Check them out. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. I think that's wonderful. And I, I'm lucky enough that my, my father-in-law is in the Navy, and so we're actually USAA members, and I really feel that brand love in a personal way. It's really the best financial institution that I've ever, ever worked with as a, as a customer. How does that mission of USAA influence the way that you work in, in, a, in a kind of day-to-day way? It's interesting because I'd like to say that it's driving us to talk to our customers in a different way and our members in a different way. But in reality, um, it's been new to try and advance that idea of design research um, here. Uh, and so 
I think that that's one of the things that design is really bringing is a connection to that membership in a way that we hadn't seen it manifest um, in the past. Um, and so it's valuable because we're able to call upon uh, the mission as motivation. But I think if anything, design has its own lens to bring of talking to humans and hearing past their statements into their needs. Um, and, you know, it's, it is very hard to um, just take research readouts out of another organization or uh, out of a, an independent kind of party and turn that into inspired design and solutions. It's hard for our business partners. It's hard for us. And so I'm super passionate about the people who are coming up with the solutions have to be in the field. They have to talk to people. Um, and we don't have some specialized group of researchers. Obviously, we have a member in Market Insights department that I don't own that does great work. But designers have to have their hands dirty and feel personally inspired right alongside our, our business partners in order to come to the best, uh, the best solutions. So it's one of the things that we've really kind of seen a sea change on uh, in the last two years is this investment in how we go about doing research and involving research in our process. So we're, we're in the design education team here at Envision, and so that's sort of a, a bias in our interests. But we're, we're really curious, how do you approach internal design education at USAA? And what have been some effective ways that you've seen to spread design thinking? Yeah, so there's two real ways that we invest in this, and one is in ourselves. Um, you know, I try to say just um, obviously anybody can use their time as they see fit, but I explicitly say that I expect everyone to spend uh, a minimum of two hours a month just on themselves. Um, and that doesn't seem like very much, but it's still hard for people to carve out. Um, and so whole teams take whole days to go and do things that they've decided or self-directed um, to, uh, to really go and, 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 and invest in themselves. Um, and that's kind of like the lowest bar. We've also been uh, doing some specific training and cohorts and kind of faux projects to be able to expand designers who maybe haven't historically worked across that entire life cycle of um, different phases of work. Uh, I hate to say kind of it's not a linear process necessarily, but we all know those designers who may have been really good at production work but haven't ever talked to a member, you know, aren't really familiar with that process of moderation um, or vice versa, right? I came in with some good strategy chops, but I've never had to, you know, make sure that I was delivering something that could be really responsive and uh, work across platforms and deal with all of the accessibility challenges that our membership especially cares about. Um, so so pro that cross-skilling has been a big part of it. Uh, and so we've done some formal education around that, just investing in ourselves. The other way that we show up is investing in USAA as a whole and talking about the value that human-centered design and specifically design thinking as a kind of a, a way of, um, uh, you know, a very accessible form of human-centered design is valuable to business partners and, as we call them, experience owners. So we're, uh, we've set up a class here, uh, and I've got a director named Erin, and a, she's got a fabulous team um, who is particularly setting this meaningful program to help our business partners be empowered with design thinking in their own everyday problems and, frankly, make them better partners for us. 
um, you know, we, we have the same challenges that anybody making software or driving a service design experience has that all too often people come with that. Um, here's a solution. Just make me this thing. Uh, and, Let's rewind. Let's talk about the value you want to deliver. Let's talk about the way that you're framing the problem. Um, let's go all the way back to say, uh, you know, have we found the right problem, let alone, you know, before jumping to a solution. And that idea of that early phase of problem finding, if you will, um, I think is, is really key. Uh, and one of the things that we're focused a lot with our, uh, our business partners. So we're on track to train about uh, 350 uh, experience owners this year in human-centered design via two-day boot camp that we've set up. Um, so we do those across our locations, but mostly they come here to Austin. We've got a huge, beautiful workshop space, uh, and they get to work bathed in natural light with you know all the craziness of a design studio and boards everywhere and whiteboards and and um, and we we put them to work. Uh, and they kind of talk about how they can solve problems differently and think about value in a different way, because that's our ultimate job, um, is to deliver value to our members. Um, whether that value is, uh, through reduced cost or that value is through enhanced experience, um, or more meaningful advice, there's a lot of different forms it can take, but that's what we're all here to give. That's fantastic. And you, you mentioned, you know, the, the multiple studios that, that you all have, um, and you know, you're doing things like boot camps to bring people together, CDO day, uh, I, I had the pleasure of seeing, which was incredible bringing every, thank you so much. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, it was great to see, you know, in San Antonio, bringing everyone from all the studios together and you could feel the energy and excitement, but Beyond that, these are special occasions, right, that, that bring people together. And there's cross-pollination and connection that happens there. But how do you uh, – one of the challenges of scale is day-to-day, is -day, keeping multiple studios unified, working together. What, what sort of measures do you take to, to keep everyone united? Our design language system is one of the big keys. Um, when I first joined, we had a little bit more of a governance-based approach. Um, and – it wasn't going to scale. It did. It wasn't scaling right. It was a pain point for for business partners as well as designers, and it. And so we've really come at this from the perspective of um, tools, of being able to say that we're going to have um, a, a set of reusable components that are not just a style guide, that are instantiated as real life code that we then also distribute as a set of sketch and envision templates that people can use and recompile so that we're freeing them up to think about their problem in a different way rather than always redesigning the phone number form field, as it were. Um, and so by having more of those ingredients um, baked in a more mature way, um, we're not only starting to see uh, benefits in terms of development efficiency, obviously, because the developer puts button on the page and all the behaviors are there and uh, you know it has the right focus state and alt text and all of those things, um, but also we're starting to see more consistency, uh, across the board. And we have a structure that we, we build these components, but then we also offer whiteboarding sessions and collaborative review sessions and critique, um, that's very proactive. Uh, and so I use this team as a bit of a hub to be able to drive that consistency across and their main goal is to not be governance. Um, but also to 
talk about why we value consistency and why it's not appropriate to rethink every little component every little time and that we should as designers be more free to think about those higher order problems. Um, so of course it's important uh, the individual components of a page and what you click on and how you feel driven forward, but it's really important how you're structuring that information and the narrative you're telling across the time. I think the quintessential design skill set is becoming and, and has been actually really in my mind for a long time, synthesis, right? We are almost this universal translator interface for business, customer, um, technical constraint by giving things form, by turning function into form, we have this power to synthesize the world into something that feels actionable. And that is both a burden, <laughs> burden and a gift. Um, but that should be the thing that we're all aspiring to. And that requires different skills around storytelling, facilitation, um, your job is not just to put your headphones on and make that beautiful object. Your job is to listen to the world around you uh, and drive new perspective on it. And so it's hard, but it's really attractive. Uh, and so the times that we're able to make that happen at its best, um, holding up those examples uh, and sharing that in some one of our community meetups or other, uh, other exchanges that we have is, is really key. So that, that aspect, listening to the world around you and a tie to empathy. So this is going to be one of those questions which um, feel free to strike out because it's a little, it's a little, it feels a little tangent maybe, but I, I was really touched by this. And I, when I was doing some research on your background, I found this video pitch for South by Southwest. And you spoke about how motherhood has made you a better designer. And I think having an example of a designer who's a, a leader at the sea level, but also talking about the impact of being a mom is just, even for me as a father, is just, just a great example. But could you also speak a little bit about how motherhood has made you a better designer? Yeah, I've been toying with for years, even before becoming a mom, this idea of designing yourself. Um, and that we are at all times deciding how we interact with the world. Uh, and deciding, uh, not in a manipulative Machiavellian way, but deciding how we show up and um, that the power to be thoughtful of the way that we engage with others is inherently, um, you know, what, what, what makes us human uh, and what is driving some of our evolution and, you know, why, why. So I call it designing just because design is my hammer. So the world is a nail, including myself. Um, but it, it's been really helpful to me in terms of coming into this organization and figuring out how to interact with my partners um, and to have empathy for them as well as the membership. Oftentimes designers are really good at having empathy for our customers and our consumers. We're sometimes pretty crappy at having empathy for our business partners and technical partners. Um, and so that's something I put a lot of emphasis on in my organization. Um, but I also think about how it relates to my personal life uh, and my relationship with my husband and my relationship with my children. And like all design, it only matters when it really gets into the world and you put it to good use and test it and bang on it and break it. Um, and there's nothing like a toddler to, you know, test my 
ways that I think I may have designed myself. Uh, or, <laughs> uh, but but that connection between um, you you want to have a growth mindset with your kids. Um, you want to not tell them everything's possible and you get a participation ribbon for for everything. But that this idea of that trying matters, the way you approach a problem matters, the way you push yourself and engage with others matter. The same is true in design. And when you start to put that emphasis, not just on the craft, craft is table stakes. We've got to make things that uh, are, are, are feel good, that I want to touch, that I want to interact with. But when you start to put that emphasis uh, within the practice of design on your job is to synthesize, your job is to pull people, communities of people together um, and facilitate and drive different ways of interacting to, to create better outcomes. It's a similar muscle in my mind. Um, there's also just personally, one of the hardest cha- challenges I had coming into an organization of this scale is how much I have to repeat myself. Once upon a time, my job was to come up with really cool things and have fresh ideas every day. That is not my job anymore. My job is to repeat myself over and over and over again until it starts to have impact. Uh, And that is very much like being a mom. (laughs) That is so, that's parenthood 101 right there. (laughs) I have that conversation with my kids daily, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's it's really interesting, you know, thinking about craft as table stakes because it's what we as designers, you know, we, we love to talk about it. It's so attractive and it's what it's the love that brought us into our, our careers. But those who do it well, they they go beyond and they figure out the relationship piece and, you know, exploring this idea of design at scale, it shifts into just massive people problems, you know, of trying to bring people together, get people to buy in, to be involved, to feel part of it. Um, and and it, you're, you're sort of touching on that point here. I'd, I'd like to go a little bit deeper about how you and, and your team, um, what specifically uh, are some things that you do to bring people into design so they understand what you do um, they value what you do. And also just like there's a simple awareness uh, of, of what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I think that the design education that we talked about, that's kind of the first building block. The second is just the way that you engage in the work itself, right? We never go away and have this kind of black box moment, hopefully, where we we, we kind of magically came out with the solution on the other side. Um that's not going to get us as far as if we're bringing our partners along the journey. And so you can't bring everyone into the field if you're going to go and do design research all the time, but you can bring back those raw stories. You can have video and other mediums and put posters and pictures of your people that you talk to uh, up on every wall. Uh, And you can start to, um, you know, you're not going to solve all the problems in workshops but it creates a feeling of inclusion and creates this kind of behind the scene picture of how the problems are being solved. Um, and so I think that valuing those moments where we can bring our business partners, our technology partners into the process is really key. And frankly, at a financial institution, it goes all the way to your compliance partners. And that be that sounds like 
really strange to say, but I go and I talk to our compliance partners, be they in risk or, you know, our third line of defense, and they're, they're tired of being the office of no. Um, they want to be involved in the solutions to help think of creative ways to, because all regulation is birthed out of the idea of consumer protection for the most part. Um, and in a financial institution, regulation can't help but be part of your life and part of the equation. Um, and so embracing that as an ingredient um, has been key. Uh, and being able to show that maturity as an organization, that I don't just care about making things beautiful, um, I think in, gets us invited to more conversations. If we were just, if our brand in terms of within the organization was just that we put our headphones on and make pretty beautiful things. That's all we get asked to do. Um, but showing up in a way that does that synthesis problem, uh, you know, tackles that head on, I think has just started to build a different level of rapport. Um, and rapport is what we fight for on a day-to-day -day basis to build trust with our partners such that they ask us more and more and more interesting questions. And it becomes this virtual cycle uh, virtuous cycle, sorry, of I get more interesting questions, I can keep designers more engaged. I get more interesting questions, I can keep designers more engaged. Um, uh, and of course, I pay them along the way, and that, that helps keep them coming to work as well. But interesting questions is why I showed up to Frog for almost a decade. Uh, and I think it's why uh, I, I hope to have people showing up here for many years to come. That's wonderful. So, one last question, we'll wrap up. You, you mentioned earlier um, thinking about designing your own life and quick plug for a colleague of mine wrote a book called Designing Your Life, which is about exactly that, if you haven't run into it. Uh, related to that, we'd wanna ask you, are there any books or blogs, um, other resources that you've found helpful over the years as you honed your skills as a leader? Oh gosh, everything. Um, I, uh, I, I am a huge kind of just, student of life and, and trying to bring uh, multiple sources of, of information. I rarely read nonfiction. I, I love it when I do. Um, uh, sorry, no, I rarely read fiction. I love it when I do, but I, I'm kind of a, a nonfiction junkie. Um, I, I, I really like John Coco's work, um, and he's got a new book out. Uh, I'm, I'm going to mess up the title, but it's basically about creativity. And it's that idea of being able to involve everybody in the creative process and making safe spaces for creativity to happen. Uh, so there's this older book that I'm reading right now called Crossing the Unknown Sea, Work as a Pilgrimage of Identity. Um, it's by uh, a guy named David White. And it's, it's much older, it's early 2000s, but I'm enjoying it so much because it's not about design, but for me it is because design is my identity and my work. Um, but it's, uh, he's a poet. Uh, and so the whole thing is written like poetry, even though it's kind of a business book. Um, and it's absolutely beautiful and just what I'm enjoying at the moment. That is fantastic. Well, Mariah Garrett, thank you so much for being on the design better podcast. Thank you guys for the conversation. I'm huge fans. Thanks for continuing to bring me more inspiration. I listen all the time um, to improve my own practice.